that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Saturday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're talking coaching again. We were going to do a big pick a receiver. No, 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 no. I changed it. Pick a quarterback, a running back, and three receivers from the 2000s at Ohio State. 20 years. And make your perfect offense. Those five guys. I sent out a poll to the tech subscribers, but enough news came up. And we're kind of, I think that we figured out that could get pretty meaty, pretty fun. Cause part of it to me is not just the five best guys. Some of it's like pairing them together, right? Well, I want to see this quarterback with this running back, or I want to see these three receivers together. Cause I want this guy as the possession receiver. This guy as the deep threat. This guy is the slot, whatever. So I think that'll be a fun discussion. I asked texters to just explain your five. Some we're going to do that next week, maybe as the big Wednesday pod. But right now, we have coaching things to talk about. We're spending a lot of time on the assistant coaching staff because we sort of evaluated everybody. You know, we did it for Michigan. We graded the offensive and defensive hires. And then this Al Washington stuff came up. But Al Washington is staying. We did a fake Al Washington negotiation the other day. As we record this Friday morning, we actually we don't have an announcement from Ohio State about this. So, guys, we don't officially know. Did they give him a title bump? Seems like maybe. Did they give him a raise? Certainly got a raise. Certainly got a raise. So, Nathan, it's kind of around this time of the year when they kind of start coming out with some assistant yeah. stuff anyway. So all we know for sure is Al Washington is staying with the Buckeyes for 2021. But, you know, we can guess maybe a little bit on what some of those other parameters might be. Yeah, and, and about that announcement, as I explained to the texters, and I think I might have said it on the pod earlier, you know, there were some contracts that expired at the end of January for guys who are still going to be on staff. So that a lot of that stuff gets announced all at one time. So like Tony Alford's contract expired at the end of January, and I think some of the support guys. So I, I assume that we'll get a formal announcement of all those things at one time. I don't think they're going to make a separate announcement about Al Washington, but I could be wrong. Um, but as I wrote, I, I think it's, you know, you've pointed out that it's, any one position coach leaving shouldn't be some sort of devastating thing for Ohio state. And I agree with that at the same time, this does seem like a big win for Ryan day to, to keep out Washington here. Um, not that it was only Ohio state coaxing out Washington to staying. I think there may have also been, as we talked about uh, a part of this decision that was, was is Tennessee the right place to go at this stage of your career. But I think that combination of things at this time, for Ohio State's linebacker room. It's almost like if you go back a year in time and they know they're going to have the same three guys starting and you've got Justin Hilliard there and you've got that whole then junior class behind him, that linebacker room would be pretty secure. That would almost seem to be have been a, a more convenient time to have to change linebacker coaches. To do it now with the relationships that Al Washington has, not just with these guys who are elevating and the guys he's been developing below that and the guys he's recruiting for the future, it, it seems like an important thing. So I, I want to get into this a little bit because everybody knows my stance on assistant coaches. Al Washington is at a point in his career and it is at a, is a certain type of assistant that frankly has not come through Ohio state all that much in my 16 years covering this program. So it does make it a little more complex, a little more important, a little more interesting, but Steven, if I asked you, to answer this question with a specific answer, 
the most important reason that how do I say it? <laughs> What's the most important part of it? Al Washington staying. The most important part of him staying is what? Right now for this team, what's the single most important factor that like, oh man, it's really good they kept Al Washington because blank. His ability as a recruiter. I and I yes, I know I pointed out on a podcast earlier this week. I don't know remember which one, but the fact that the three linebackers that they have already are two are are actually Ohio guys, and the third is technically an Ohio guy, but still it's the his ability to lock down that linebacker room and they're trying to lock in on a fourth guy. And this is probably not the time where you want to have a change at the position coach when you're trying to do that. But also he helps out with a lot of other positions. He has some, some connections in some other areas because of his experiences in the assistant coach and other, at other schools at this point. So I think over the continuity with the linebacker room, yeah, but more than anything, it's his ability as a recruiter, because that's what 75% of your job. So here's what I what I want to get into. I was trying to look through the years, and again, I did this a little while ago. I couldn't I couldn't find the old old thing I sent. But you know, I sometimes harp on the guys that I think were not very good assistant coaches at Ohio State, and that's rare. Most of them are good. Some of them are very good. Some of them are Larry Johnson. Some of them are Bill Davis. But most of them are good. Are good quality assistant coaches that help the Ohio state Buckeyes win, which goes back to my thing of like, what's why it's why losing one is not the end of the world because most of the time they get it right. But here's where Al is right in a spot that I actually think is really important for a team to have guys like this, but Ohio state hasn't had it a ton. So he is a, he's not young, right? He's not Corey Dennis. He's not old. He's not Larry Johnson. He's 36 and age is part of it, but it's really about experience. He's been a full-time assistant coach in college football for 12 years. He's been a, a full-time assistant at the Division I level, high divi- you know, the highest Division I level for nine years. He's been at Ohio State for two years. He's not a coordinator. So he is one of those guys. He is a experienced, and I'll say middle-aged. I'm middle-aged, a 36-year-old person. If I, if I said to Al Washington in real life, hey, you're middle-aged, he'd probably pick me up by my neck and say, does this feel like middle age to you? I mean, like, you know, he is a healthy young man compared 36 when you're 47, 36 is not middle age, but he's sort of like in that midpoint of his career. He's not just starting out. Right. And he also hasn't been around forever, but he's not a coordinator yet. And Ohio state hasn't had a ton of those guys come through. Right. That, that where it's like, Hey, I'm a position coach, but it's time for me to be a coordinator. And now you're trying to keep somebody who clearly is ready for that step. And you maybe can't give them that step. And that gets very difficult. I tried to find the guys in 16 years because a lot of times, and I want to talk about Luke Fickle a little bit and how Luke Fickle became a co-coordinator at Ohio State. And we will be very curious to see exactly what Al Washington, if there is a title bump, what it is. If it's a co, if it's a, you know, sometimes you're not a co, but you're a part of the defense coordinator, right? I mean, like you can do some wiggle around a little bit. Here are the guys that I thought fit this category of they were important assistants at Ohio State, that Ohio State, they really were good, but they weren't coordinators. And Ohio State was then in this area of like trying to figure out how to keep them. Um, 
One was Tim Beckman. Actually, I said that wrong. He wasn't very good. He was here for two years, left after he was here for 2005 and 2006, left after 2006 to go be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State on his way to being a head coach. Then was a head coach at Toledo, then was a head coach at Illinois. I never liked Tim Beckman. I never thought he was good. When he left, I didn't care. But that was an example of a, he was a position coach here who wanted to be a coordinator, was at that spot in his career. Mike Vrabel was one of these, was never a coordinator at Ohio State. Started off, his, he came right from the New England Patriots. He retires. He comes to help Luke Fickle in 2011. Mike Vrabel is here, 11, 12, 13. As a position coach, leaves to go to the NFL. And you were never going to keep Mike Vrabel, right? I mean, he's a freaking NFL head coach. I mean, it's like, oh, how do you entice Mike Vrabel to stay at Ohio State? It's like, you're not going to. So that's not really applicable to this situation, really. It's, but it's an example, but it's not applicable. Daryl Hazel, I think, was kind of like this. The receivers coach under Jim Tressel, he was an Ohio State assistant for seven years, but he was never a coordinator. He had an assistant head coach title, never was a coordinator. And when he left, he went to be a head coach. He went to be the head coach at Kent State and then became the head coach at Purdue. But I don't ever remember. I talked to Daryl. There was a lot of – when I was covering that those Trestle teams at that time, it was Luke and Daryl. Luke Fickle and Daryl Hazel were the two guys on staff that you knew were going to be head coaches. And I very specifically remember trying to talk to them about like, hey, I want to do a story about how you try to figure out when you're going to go. And they were kind of like, I don't really want to talk about this. It was a little bit of a different time but they were kind of both in that spot. But Daryl was never a coordinator here, left for a head job. But I don't know that Ohio State ever was caught in a position of, hey, he has a chance to be an offensive coordinator somewhere, and they've got to try to figure that out. I, I don't know that it came up. Alex Grinch, one year here in 2018, it was a mess. He didn't really get to call the defense. He leaves to be Oklahoma's defensive coordinator. That's fine. Nobody cared that Alex Grinch left. Maybe he's good. The national media loves him. I just saw him on another head coach list. Oh, maybe Alex Grinch will be the head coach at Central Florida. No, he's not going to be. You're just kissing his agent's butt. He's not going to be. But congratulations on Alex Grinch for being a pseudo candidate for every job in the world because you're friends with national media. And then Mike Yersich. Mike Yersich is here for one year as like a kind like he's the quarterback's coach, but it's Ryan Day's offense. He leaves to go call plays at Texas, right? So, but nobody cared when Mike Yersich left. So, like, there's not a lot of examples. It's like what I'm talking about here, right? It's Al Washington. He's a position coach. He's good. You want to keep him. Somebody else wants to give him a promotion. But what are you going to do? I don't know that I can find an example that actually fits this. Daryl Hazel is probably the closest. But I didn't. when Yersich, Grinch, and Beckman left, I, I was fine. Hazel was really good. I don't know they ever had this decision. Vrabel is just on a different situation. And so, guys, like this, this is a little unique to me. So as much as I am like, you know what? Coaches are replaceable, whatever. Al was in a little bit of a different spot. And I did, Nathan, this felt like a little bit of a rock and a hard place kind of thing for Ohio State that they can't make him the defensive coordinator. They can't. But, you're, but you really don't just want to say, oh, well, good luck. Go be a coordinator. And it hasn't, in 16 years, it hasn't exactly happened that much. So whatever Ohio State did, Nathan, it feels like, I mean, he's staying. And it worked. So, like, I guess, you know, I hope Al Washington is happy with the decision. My, my inclination, my understanding is, yes, he's absolutely happy with the decision to stay. But Ohio State, they had to do some work here, I think.
Well, yeah, and I'm going to be intrigued as we find out more about this, the timing of everything, because it wasn't that long ago that we were sitting talking to Ryan Day, um, well, over Zoom, about the, the the staff changes he had made and the fact that they hadn't made anyone else a co-coordinator. They hadn't changed Al Washington's duties at all. And then almost like immediately after that, Tennessee comes swooping in and they have to deal with this. And like, if, if you would have thought that if they thought that this was something that was imminent, if it was something right in front of their face, they could have preemptively given him some of these things that they ended up giving him to maybe keep those those kinds of opportunities at, at arm's length or whatever. And but but maybe that was all you know just part of the process that you have to wait until the, the Tennessee thing played out and then you do it. I don't know, but that, I'm going to be intrigued to find out. I think you're right that the, that that Daryl Hazel is actually a pretty close comparison just um, from their their ages at the, around that same time. Uh, Daryl might have been a, a little bit older. I, I want to say he was like closer to probably like early 50s by the time he got to Purdue, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but, but like similar ages and um, and and just the, the I think kind of that 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 broader respect that they have um, that might be the best comparison. Except I think because he Daryl was leaving to be a head coach, um, it, it just it you're right. It did feel different. It just felt different. And it felt like, it, you're right, that Ohio State didn't really have that, – that there was more urgency here. I think that the kind of – maybe that was the word that you used earlier this week, that it shouldn't feel like a crisis when a position coach is going to leave. But it kind of felt like it would have created a little bit of a crisis if he had left at this stage for Ohio State because of what he means to the staff, because of the timing of, the, of, of everything that's happening. I, it would have felt a little bit like that. Daryl Hazel was 47 when he took the Kent State job. When he left yep. Ohio State, so he's a full, he's a decade ahead, a decade older than Al. So you're right; it, it is a different situation, but it is. I just feel like Stephen. I think it is. I think it is okay to say. I don't know how to say this. It's not necessarily, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush because it's not fair. Because it, it, the individual person matters a ton, but there's also sort of a role that Al fills here, right? That right now, I mean, it's it's. Al Washington and Brian Hartline are the two guys kind of at this point in their careers. They're not coordinators. They're in their thirties. They're clearly going to be something. They're going to be head coaches. They're going to be NFL coordinators. They're like, they're going to move up in the ranks, but they are in a spot. They're not Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, Greg Sudrawa, Tony Alford, Kevin Wilson, older guys. And they're not Parker Fleming, Corey Dennis, much younger much less experienced guys. They're these two guys in the middle. And man, I think it's Steven, that type of coach is so valuable, but also so hard to keep. Now you can have a guy in his mid thirties, who's been an assistant for 10 years, who's also not the right fit and is not very good. So I don't want to just say mid thirties assistant X is the deal. It so happens that Ohio state has two excellent guys like this in Brian Hartline and Al Washington, but that role on the staff, Steven, the guy who's on his way to somewhere, but is here for now, man, that really does feel important to me. You can make an argument that they might be the most valuable people on the staff because of where they are in their career, because of those reasons and where they are in their career, especially with Al Washington, maybe even more than Brian Hartline, because Brian Hartline has that extra variable of he played in the NFL and he also played at Ohio State. So he might be a little bit more you know, comfortable sticking around a little bit longer. He doesn't process. need the money. He doesn't yeah, he need the does. money. Right. He doesn't need the money. Right. He doesn't need the money. So he doesn't feel like he has to climb that, you know, proverbial ladder as quickly as Al Washington 
might feel the need to do it. And so that means there is a little bit more urgency when things come pop up like this without Washington and Tennessee than maybe it would if, I don't know, Oklahoma State came calling or Miami came calling for Brian Hartline. So let me make this direct comparison then, because I looked this up. This happened right before I took over on the beat. So Mark D'Antonio leaves Ohio State after the 2003 season to be the head coach at Cincinnati. They make Mark Snyder the defensive coordinator for 2004, and then Mark Snyder leaves to be the head coach at Marshall. And Jim Tressel has to now hire another defensive coordinator. So he promotes Jim Haycock, the defensive line coach, who had been a head coach, been an assistant under John Cooper. Jim Tressel retained him. He'd been an assistant at Ohio State for nine years. He promotes him to defensive coordinator. He also promotes the 31-year-old linebackers coach who had been at Ohio State for three years to co-defensive coordinator, and that was Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle was 31. He was five years younger than Al Washington is now, but I went back and I read the story that Bruce Hooley wrote for the Cleveland Plain Dealer back in the, it was in April when it happened. So I don't know exactly what the timing was on Mark Snyder leaving, but it was happening even later than now. And Jim Tressel in that story said, Jim Haycock's a defensive coordinator. Luke, Luke Fickle is a co-coordinator, but Jim Haycock is in charge and Luke Fickle is assisting him. So Luke had a co-defensive coordinator title, but there was no doubt about who, whose defense it was. And then I think, as I understood it, because then I, come, I came on in 2005, and then Haycock and Fickle were the co-coordinators for a long time, for years and years. I mean, I think, I mean, they were up until Luke became the head coach. I mean, that's how it was then for like the next five years. And I think Luke's role expanded, right? I mean, your co becomes stronger as you go along. And, and Nathan, we don't know exactly what this is going to be. But if that was the solution to this, that Kerry Combs is Jim Haycock, you're the veteran, it's your defense. But linebackers coach in the 30s, who we love and we want to keep, you're the co. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's the official solution, but Al Washington in more than one, more than a few ways reminds me of Luke Fickle a little bit. That would, in the end, Nathan, seem like a very reasonable finish to this, that it's not, it's not like threatening carry, but Al, Al like probably deserves a title like that. Yeah, I mean, you talked earlier this week about how sometimes this realm, uh, this the sports realm is very different than the jobs that the rest of us have on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes it's not. And I think this is a, an example of a time when it's kind of not because we we've all been in situations like this, or I know Steven, this is his first job. So maybe he hasn't, but like, this is, you know, leverage is how you get things out of here. The guy, and sometimes you don't really want to leave somewhere, but if someone is coming at you and saying, well, you can come over here and do this for this amount of money. It's not that you want to leave, but you at least go to the place that you're staying and say like, hey, like, I don't want to leave, but you got to at least come and meet me halfway on some of this. And some of this seems like maybe that's what happened here. Then on Washington's like, look, I know why, you know, I, I don't, this isn't necessarily my first choice and I'm, I'm completely speculating here, but Ohio State had to give him something. Like you can't turn down everything that's out there. Now you're turning down only part of what Tennessee is offering. So I, I'm intrigued by that too. Like what exactly will this new, what will this, will this be a cosmetic title change or will it be an actual change of duties for him? And to the outside, I don't know that it matters. I, I, and it, cause I think a lot of times, like you're saying, like co actually means assistant. They just don't call it assistant cause it looks better on a resume to call it co. So I'm intrigued by 
obviously Ryan Day had set up this coaching staff the way he wanted it to be set up. I don't know that they'll completely reconfigure everyone's duties based on this, um, but at least it, it gets him that title and um, and it gives him, I assume, probably some additional responsibilities, but what, what those will be, um, we I'm, I'm, I'm interested to find out because it's obviously Greg Madison's retirement left him as the only linebackers coach on this team. Um, the only guy with really familiarity at all with, with coaching linebackers, I believe. I don't think Larry Johnson has any of that in his background. Matt Barnes, I don't think has any of that in his background. And, and then the new special teams coordinator, Parker Fleming doesn't have a defensive background at all. So how much do you really want to take off of his plate as far as like working with the linebackers to give him additional duties? I, I don't know that that makes sense for this team either. So I'll be curious. I mean, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. And I did. I was curious to get a sense from the textures how important they thought it was. And sometimes I'd like to give an odd number of choices because then you have a middle. Sometimes I give an even number of choices and then you don't have a middle and you've at least got to lean one way or the other. So this is how I phrased it. How important was it for Ohio State to keep out Washington? In order, the choices were super important. He's a game-changing assistant. Then was very important. He's really good, and the defense needs all the help it can get. Then was moderately important. The timing might have made it tough to find a replacement. And then at the bottom was not that important. Assistants leave and get replaced, and that's how it works. So, Stephen, of those four choices, again, at least you got to lean somewhere. What do you think won? Super important, very important, moderately important, not that important. Moderately important, but I think super important had a close second. So you think – so it was super, very, moderately, and not. Yeah. You think moderately won. Yeah. But super was second. Yeah. Okay. Just because of, of the description you had after it. Okay. What do you think, Nathan? I think it was probably very. I think it was probably what won. And I actually went back and found my notes from when we were doing the football coaches thing, the assistant coach thing a couple weeks ago. And I had Al Washington as number one on the most important to keep. Okay. Well, good call by you. Uh, it was very. It was very was the winner. Um, and like – Pretty substantially, 50, wait, uh, 56%, 57% said very, then moderately, 24%. And then as always, we say the two edges, how do the edges compare? Super important was way ahead of not that important. Super important, 16%, not that important, 4%. So, you know, I, I don't even know that, you know, the not that important is like the Doug Maurice philosophy even I would not have invoked, not have voted, not that important in this case. I, I, I would not have voted that. I, I probably would have said moderately important, I guess, but I, I get very important. And I was curious how many would go super important. Steven, I maybe thought even more people would go more than 16% would say super important because sort of of what we discussed, Al just fills a, he like fills a, a, a spot in a, in a bunch of different ways that just sort of his responsibility, his recruiting, his, his development ability, um, his age, his experience level. I, I, I thought even maybe more than 16% would say super important. Yeah. I, I honestly, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm surprised that didn't win because it's not, it's not overly hyperbolic, but it kind of gets to the point of he's, 
important to you in a lot of different ways, as you just listed. I mean, he's a great recruiter. The linebackers have been solid since he showed up. I mean, the remnants of Bill Davis are gone at this point in the linebacker room. And he's coming back to, and especially when you think of on that defense, that's the one room where you're pretty much started from scratch as far as there's nobody in that room this year who is a returning starter. At least in the secondary, you have seven banks returning as a starter. And the defensive line outside of Tommy Togia is coming back pretty much the same as last year outside of Tommy Togia and Jonathan Cooper. So that's the one, I think, position group where you just didn't want to lose your position coach given all all those variables. So I'm surprised that one didn't win. But I think that's why Very Important did win. It's because it encompasses all of that without insinuating that like losing him punches a hole in this team that it might not recover from, even just for 2021. So let's address that. So again, in the end, the top two – got 72%, the bottom two got 28%. So that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty stark three to one. You know, that's people really want Al Washington to be here. But Nathan, for 2021, because, you know, again, this isn't, I guess, super late in the cycle. And I went to Urban Meyer still hiring his staff at Jacksonville, by the way. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the people Urban Meyer hired in Jacksonville because there was a time when that was a great, 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 great interest to this Buckeye Talk listening audience. But for 2021, we've gone through, okay, we, you know, we think they're going to have great offensive skill around this young quarterback. They have Haskell Garrett back. They have these interesting linebackers. We think Ohio State's going to be good, a good, good football team in 2021. How much does Al Washington, does keeping Al Washington help them in 2021? Could it have blown, you know, and again, it's important for keeping maybe Desan McCullough and, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers and the future linebackers on the hook, but that's not affecting 2021. How for this season, how big a deal was this, Nathan, in terms of coaching up this defense that didn't play very well last year? Well, and that's that's why I think it is important because this defense is at a point where it needs kind of a bounce back. And he's a guy who has demonstrated, as Stephen was saying before, with with a came in at a time when the linebacker unit specifically and those guys were younger in their careers and where you would have thought were improving anyway. But at the time when the linebackers were considered a liability, Al Washington comes in and almost kind of overnight, right, between 2018 and 2019, the linebackers are, are seen as like a growing strength of this defense and then growing into what they were last year, which was a, a really stable core. So I think that it was going to be important. He's obviously developed a relationship with these guys, uh, Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope, and and on and on, the, the even the younger guys below that that he helped bring in in some cases. Like I think those guys – it, it was going to be good for them to have him there to kind of shepherd them into this next stage. I will say there is a part of me though, that reserves. And it's why I might only vote like very important on something like this, because if, if he would have left, then all that does is open it up for Ryan day to then go find what Al Washington was two years ago, which was a guy that a lot of Ohio state fans didn't know about, but was like an up and coming guy in the, in college football he could go find that guy you would think Ohio State would be able to outbid and give anybody a raise to come be their linebackers coach from like a, a any other program almost and maybe a new set of eyes in that room is even more beneficial to those guys in some ways I'm reserving a little bit of that like maybe he gets to come in and somebody who's looking at Dallas Gant and Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope for the first time maybe he sees new things and finds new ways to use them and that enhances them and gives everybody a fresh start with this with this kind of new core that's here so I I do reserve some possibility for that 
but I think the continuity here, as much as we were kind of uh, questioning the, the concept of continuity just a week ago with, with some of the other decisions that were made, I do think it maybe made some sense here, and, and it's a benefit for Ohio State. So two, two other assistant coaches I want to talk about in relationship to Al Washington before we get into the analysts they have hired and how I do think that affects situations like this and affects the assistant coaching staff and the player development guy they hired. Um, so first is Brian Hartline. So Steven, again, this Brian Hartline is the other guy on staff and the guy I'm leaving, Matt Barnes is the other guy like at this age and sort of point in his career. Matt Barnes just got a promotion. So it's like, you know, Matt Barnes sort of got promoted to get to the Al Washington, Brian Hartline level. But Matt Barnes is feeling good right now because he's higher than he was a year ago. So, you know, I mean, that's makes you feel good. This is going to happen with Brian Hartline at some point, Stephen. Now, the, the taking the points previously said about he's got millions of dollars in the bank from his NFL career. So, like, just only money as a as a not that people don't want more money, but Maybe not as much as a driver. He's just, I mean, he's just already made a lot of money. This is his second career for, for guys like Matt Barnes and almost, you know, Al Washington and Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs and Greg Studrawa and I mean, almost everybody else, this is their primary career. So this is how you make money and how you send kids to college and how you build a retirement. And they're all doing great, but Brian Hartline, you know, made millions and millions and millions playing receiver. So it's a little different for him. But at some point, Stephen, Ohio State is going to face this because somebody, whether it's – and it's already happened, I'm sure. But an NFL team offering him, come be our receivers coach, or another college saying, come be our offensive coordinator, it's going to happen. And, like, what, what can Ohio State do? What, what will it be like when we are having this discussion in a year, in two years, in three years, whenever, and instead of Al Washington, it's Brian Hartline? Yeah, his is interesting because you know, he wasn't – it's not like he was a scrub in the NFL. He was pretty good. He had a couple thousand-yard seasons under his belt. I, I think with, with Brian Hartline, it's going to be – he's – I think they know and he knows he can be patient and kind of wait for the right fit. He doesn't – whether that's you know the NFL or a coordinator job at a, a, a high-profile Power 5 school. But also, I am interested to see what his timeline on and when he does get a, a at least a co-coordinator role within Ohio State's um, – coaching staff maybe that's the next maybe when if kevin wilson decides to leave in the next two seasons does brian, is brian hartline now the offensive coordinator which would make a lot of sense that you know your primary play call, callers or your head coach who are is a quarterback guy and your wide receivers coach which are at this point in this offense probably the two most important positions so it would it would make a lot of sense that he would just move into that role. So I am interested whether Kevin Wilson leaves or not. I am interested to see if in the next two years, Brian Hartline is at worst a co-coordinator on his, on his offensive coaching staff, because I think that's the only way you keep him is if you do start moving him up the ladder a little bit, even if he is happy to just be on the coaching staff of, of his alma mater. And that's the big difference between offensive defensive coordinator at Ohio state right now. Like it, on the defensive side, you actually do have a defensive coordinator who is, already in place and to have removed duties from him would have felt like a demotion. You can give whatever title you want to everybody on the offense. Ryan day is still calling plays at the end of the day. So I think it's almost easier to kind of throw that title on top of someone if you want to, as a, as a bonus to keep them around. 
but it also is the responsibility. I actually think I think the responsibility matters more than the title because if they just because title might mean a money bump and title's good on the resume, but if it's still like, hey, I think we should do this this week, and we know it's all collaborative. They all say it's all collaborative, whatever. But someone still makes the decision. And if in the room every time you say, hey, I think we need to run these routes or we need to throw it more or we need to do this on third down or we need to do this in the red zone, and every time you suggest it, they don't do that. They do the other thing because somebody else has a louder voice in the room, a, more, a bigger role. And your opinions, while valued and while part of the collaborative process, you never have any decision-making ability and they never end up doing what you think. Whether you have a co on your title or not, that gets frustrating after a while. So I do think, I mean, to your point, Nathan, yes, it's the Ryan Day, but Ryan Day over time is going to have to pull back from that. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to find people. This is how we do it. You execute it. It's the Ryan Day offense, but you handle the play-to-play, moment-to-moment kind of stuff. So Heartline's going to have to decide that. And I'm sure that's part of it for Al, too. It's like Al's like, listen, man, I've been doing this for 12 years. So I want to think, but I want my voice to matter in the discussion. If I think we need to play more 4-2-5, if I think we need to blitz the linebackers more, if I think this – I don't, I want to be, have like decision-making, if not decision-making ability, real true decision-making input on more than just the linebackers. Cause at linebacker, he gets to decide who plays if he wants to move guys around or whatever. But if Kerry Combs is saying, listen, man, no, 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 we're not blitzing Michigan. We're, and Al's like, Oh my God, I think this is the perfect time to really go after Michigan. Right. That's frustrating. But if it's like, if it's like Al, if Ryan Day says, listen, Carrie, it's your thing, but Al's Al, absolutely, you must take Al into consideration. And there are moments when Al can sway. Maybe it's Carrie's still final decision, but when Al says something, it carries more weight than other guys because Al is the real co-coordinator. That kind of thing. And it's all very, it can be hard to put your finger on sometimes. I mean, I think that to me, again, just trying to relate it to real life, you know, situations anybody listening to this can relate to. Al's 36. He's been around. He's good. That's probably what he wants. He wants to make decisions or at least to have valued input. And that's and that's why I'm I'm interested to get into Brian Hartline's head about what kind of coach he wants to be five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, assuming he wants to stay in coaching that long. I don't think we have as clear a picture of what Brian Hartline ultimately wants to be as a coach. I think we have a clearer picture on the out Washington side, right? I mean, he's been climbing the ranks in a different way than Brian Hartline was. Um, Right. I mean, I think that's an accurate thing to say. He's been, he's taken more of a conventional path up the coaching ladder and Tennessee was offering him a chance that was a next step in his career that he has been building towards for a long time towards what the the thing he ultimately wants, which is maybe to be a head coach or or something like that. So we don't know that that Brian Hartline wants to climb in that same way. We just don't. And I think that's the other factor in in, when you're comparing those two guys. Yeah. I think with who this probably isn't even a discussion. If, if it's just switched and Brian Hartline is the guy who would have got offered by Tennessee, he probably does. I mean, we probably don't even hear about it. We probably just move on because it's never even brought up in the public because he probably turns it down so quickly. Why? Because who's because a lot of the reasons we just named, he doesn't necessarily need the money. So that's, I mean, Tennessee's not the most what shiny was, job right now. Do you think he wants to run an offense though? I don't know if he wants to run an offense at Tennessee right now, where he also won't, probably won't be able to recruit there. 
giving gives them off the field stuff. I do think there can be two different things here where Al wants to be a head coach, clearly. It's possible that Al's best path to being a head coach at a good place in a somewhat short period of time is to not have, you know, he would have had more responsibility at Tennessee, but for the moment, don't have quite as much responsibility, but it's still a better path to get to where you really want to get. Because it's not his end game to be a defensive coordinator, but is being a defensive coordinator at an SEC school right now more fulfilling in the moment? And do you think it is a, a better path to being a head coach? It might have been more fulfilling in the moment from a responsibility standpoint of sitting there each week, scheming it up, right? It's my defense, maybe, but you're not going to be able to recruit as good a guys. You're not going to compete at as high of a level. That'll be frustrating. And I do think it's possible that it was not a better path, that you had a better chance if you go there and it gets sideways and you're irrelevant and it's like, hey, Jeff Halfley left Boston College to go be whatever, the head coach at Penn State in two years. Boston College is open. Is Al Washington a better candidate for the Boston College job by being the defensive coordinator at Tennessee, where Tennessee like was had a bull ban and went three and nine and whatever, or where he's the whatever, some title here, one of the best recruiters in the country, Ohio State's in the playoff, everybody loves Al Washington. I think right now, you know, you maybe hold back on the re- scratching the responsibility itch but he's better set up to be the Boston college head coach in three years by staying than by leaving for the Tennessee opportunities. Steven, do you kind of agree with that? I agree with that 100%. And that's the difference there. That's once again, since we're using these two as the comparisons here, that's the difference is that's something that our Washington has to consider. Anytime a job comes up is, is this, even if it's a more responsibility, more money, all these things, is this the best way for my career to continue to advance in the direction I want it to go. Brian Hartley doesn't have to make that decision. So he can just, yeah, I just don't want to work there. <laughs> you know, that's all it comes down to with him right now, because we don't know what is act, what he ultimately wants as a college football coach. I do think Ohio state fans are all of us. Like Luke was weird. Luke fickle was a defensive coordinator at Ohio state from 2005 until 2016. Like Luke could have gone, for a Mac head job a million times and like just waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited until it was perfect at Cincinnati and clearly made a good move. Normally a guy like Luke is not going to stick around that long, but he was an alum. He had played here. He loved Ohio state. Al's not quite that, but Al's from Columbus. He does have some connection. Heartline did play here. Heartline might end up in that Luke fickle model to what you're sort of saying, Steven of like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to go comfortable, loves it, succeeding, Likes going to work every day, wait for the perfect job. And then you never, you don't have to jump for a coordinator. You don't have to jump for a a Mac job. You can jump right to like a really good job like Luke did. The other guy I want to talk about though is Kerry Combs because I have thought about, I think we've all thought about is Kerry Combs a guy. Could he be like when they, when Ohio state has had this Clemson rivalry, it's like, Oh, Brent Venables is so important there. He's the defensive coordinator. He's there forever. He's a steadying force. He's so important. And I think in some ways I have asked, could Kerry Combs be that for Ohio state, like a steadying force who is the defensive coordinator here for a long time. But Nathan, 
when you have a steadying force as your coordinator, it blocks everybody behind them. So I don't know the history of linebackers, coaches, safeties, coaches, cornerback coaches, defensive line coaches at Clemson who are like, man, I'd love to like have more defensive input here, but it's the Venable show. And we just see like, Hey, he's great. It's great for them. It's stable. And he's a high level coordinator, but that's part of it too. Right? So I don't know. That might be unrealistic. Maybe Kerry wants to leave and go be a head coach. I don't know. I mean, it's Brett Venables is also maybe special, right? But that's part of it too. If you get a guy here, and if Kerry does wind up being the defensive coordinator here for five or eight or 12 years, then it makes it harder to keep the Al Washingtons of the world happy. Somewhat, yes. But although they do, again, they do have some freedom the way that they had structured things. They, they do have some freedom to give him additional duties to play with it a little bit. I mean, compared to like the Mike Yersich situation where you already had a head coach who was the play caller, you already had an offensive coordinator. So even if they'd wanted to keep Mike Yersich, number one, Texas was throwing a crazy amount of money at him. Um, but number two, they didn't really have, I don't know what else they could have offered him that would have really felt like a legitimate addition of, I mean, I guess they could have then called him the passing game coordinator or something like that. But once you were like the third guy in line, it really didn't seem like you were actually adding any kind of redefinition of duties, any additional responsibility to what you're talking about where that could be important. So at least on the defensive side, the way that they had structured things, and maybe ultimately that's why they didn't do it up front, right? Because then now they can add it and it does seem like a promotion. It does seem like you're giving out Washington something to give him there. Or maybe it would have been somebody else that they thought they had to give that to. I don't know, but maybe that's why they didn't initially do it because then they got to bring it back. That's why I said, I'm intrigued to find out what the timeline of, of, of some of this was. And I do think in the end, the whole thing I think about a good staff is balance. And that's, there's, it's, we've talked about that before. There's balance in a lot of ways, but, you end up at a spot sometimes because of, again, some of these hires that Ohio state has made. You didn't hire, in my opinion, the next Al Washington, when you hired Corey Dennis, you didn't hire the next Al Washington when you hired Parker Fleming. Cause listen, and that's based on when you hired Al Washington, he'd been a head, an assistant coach at Boston college, Cincinnati and Michigan. That is not the resumes of Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming. Now, if you want to tell me that they're talented, young, I'm just, it's not the resumes. It's not the experience level. It's not the experience level. So when you don't hire other Al Washingtons and other Brian Hartlines right on your staff, then when you lose the one Al Washington you have, it feels more dramatic and it feels more necessary to keep him. If they would have hired the 29-year-old quarterbacks coach from Boston College when they hired Corey Dennis, if they would have hired the 31-year-old, you know, assistant secondary coach from Arizona when they hired Parker Fleming, I just think it makes it a little less desperate about Al Washington. That's what I think added to the desperation here because that mid-tier of guys, and I don't want to leave out Matt Barnes, but it's Barnes, Hartline, and Washington. And that that is a real driving engine, I think. And it's why I think we at least got one negative review about our Michigan assistance podcast. When people were like, I think it's like it's Buckeye Talk. Why are we saying that Michigan did a good job hiring this new staff? It feels they hired like all guys like that. Like that's they hired all guys who had pretty good experience who are also still pretty young. And so you lessen the importance of any one of them because you have a lot of them. But at Ohio State, it feels like they have three guys. They have the older experienced guys. And I'm not lessening the importance of Greg Sudarwa, Tony Alford, Kevin Wilson, Kerry Combs, and Larry Johnson. I'm not doing that. 
But these dudes, these guys in their 30s, you got to have some climbers. You got to. On, on some level, I don't like the guys who are just outright like climb, 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 climb. And it feels like, well, they're just using your program as a stepping stone. I don't really think Ohio State should be like a pure stepping stone to anybody because it's on some level. It's like there's a million guys who want this job and it's sort of a privilege to get this job. You've got to put something into this place. Not just take, not just be like, "Woo, got Ohio State on my resume, baby, which is why I didn't like Tim Beckman. That's what I felt like was happening there. It's like, oh, I'll be here for two years. Oh, who's where's my coordinator? Oh, Oklahoma State. Let me go coordinate a defense in the Big 12 that gives up 48 points a game. And then I can be the I get it. I get it. I'm not holding it against a guy. But Al Washington is really important. I think it's I think it's good for Ohio State that they kept him. But my advice to Ohio State, go hire the next Al Washington before this Al Washington leaves. Balance. That's what it comes down to. You need, like, a, have, you need balance. It's 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 great to have the Larry Johnsons of the world and Kevin Wilson's who are a little bit older and been around and are pretty solidified in what they can do and what they bring to the table. And maybe even it's okay to have a young guy, not Corey Dennis Parker Fleming level young, but young where it's okay, they're still on the rise up. But then yeah, you need those middle of the road guys where, as you put it, climbers who may be here for two years, they may be here for four years, but it's very clear that this is a stepping stone for a new job. If you have one of those guys consistently on your roster on both sides of the ball, you're fine. But the problem is because they only had the problem is because you had too many of the other two groups on the defensive side of the ball. If you lost your climber, you didn't really know where to turn. You know, who was a climber as an assistant coach once upon a time at Ohio state, Ryan day. It was kind of, Kind of need a guy like that on your staff, right? So, which right. brings up a point. I think it'd be interesting to see where Al Washington is a year from now because a year after Ryan Day did something like this, he ended up being a head coach somewhere. So, and it is how do I say there? You don't, there is such a thing as too much continuity because, sort of, what we're talking about, for instance, just for instance, we're talking about what well, could they give Brian Hartline more responsibility or more, more something someday. If Kevin Wilson leaves to be a head coach somewhere, it becomes very easy to figure out how to give Brian Hartline more because you're getting some churn. If Kevin Wilson is a former head coach who comes here and is like Ohio State's like offensive coordinator for 15 years, it's much harder to figure out how to give Brian Hartline more. So again, there's it's the balance of that. So I do think I'll be curious. I mean, to your point, I mean, I'm not, you know, like with Carrie, if Carrie stays forever, it comes a little harder. If Carrie does a great job this year and gets hired as, I don't know, whatever, Toledo's head coach, maybe better than that, you know, th- then then it becomes easier to give Al more. So you you do need you need some churn. You don't want over churn, but too much continuity and too much stability can lead to staleness, and it can be harder to keep your rising stars if the guys who are at the top, like just stay forever. So, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. Like the good thing for Ryan day is there's a million candidates, but it's something you've got to constantly think about because it's constantly the scales of what makes the best staff. All right. Let's talk about some analysts and some other hires and how they affect the Ohio state team this year and the years ahead. Next on Buckeye talk. All right, we're back. So they made some other hires. Paul Rhodes, former Ohio, not, not Ohio State, Iowa State head coach, 
hired as an analyst. And who's the other guy? Fitch. Is it Fitch? Todd Fitch. Todd Fitch. Finch. Fitch. Finch. Fitch. F I T C H. Fitch, like Bill Fitch, the former Boston Celtics head coach, when I was a lad. Okay. Todd. Todd. Ted. Tim. Todd. Todd Fitch. Is it Todd Fitch? Todd Fitch. Is it Todd Fitch? Interim Todd Fitch. Todd Fitch. Buckeye talk. We'll get Todd on. Todd was the interim head coach at Vanderbilt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They keep these guys under a rock for with their analysts typically. So there. So he's uh he worked with Ryan Day at Boston College. He was the interim head interim head coach at Vanderbilt this year after Derek Mason got fired. Um. So those are the two analysts. One on the offensive side of the ball. One on the defensive side of the ball. They're both in their fifties. They're both kind of in that age group. Um. Ohio State has done this before. We don't want to act like this is some kind of new thing. Uh, Brian Knorr, the one-time Indiana defensive coordinator, was an analyst here a couple years ago. Joker Phillips, the one-time Kentucky head coach, was an analyst here a couple years ago. Bill Davis kind of had a job like this for a year at Ohio State before he took over as a full-time linebackers coach. They have cycled through this. It felt like Ryan Day was going to do this. Nathan, what does this do for Ohio State, do you think? Well, I think it's just as, as Ryan Day gets farther in, and I thought it was interesting because he talked about this in, in theory a couple weeks ago and just saying that, you know, as you get into your third year, maybe you kind of reevaluate um, the, the, the balance of things that you have. And, and can you find someone who could maybe help make things run a little bit more efficiently? That's what I look at analysts as doing, right? Like, I think it's, it, it's about efficiency. I saw one article um that I think from, from maybe like the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal from a couple of years ago, where they were writing about this kind of trend that was growing and kind of described it as being people who assist the assistant coaches. So, you know, it, it just, it's somebody with a, you're getting two guys here who have long coordinator backgrounds, um, long, you know, position coach backgrounds, and um, even some coordinating experience in one case, uh, or even some head coach experience, I should say, in one case, I feel like just getting those guys, it's different than the, the quality control guys. It's people with, with that level of experience who know what a coordinator needs, who know what a head coach needs. And when you have people like that kind of helping just organize things behind the scenes, they're, they're giving input into the film study. Maybe they're helping chop up film and, and, and help you, you know, distributing that um, just, just people who can help streamline the day-to-day process for these assistants. I, I think those are things that as you're looking to make like pretty significant um, improvements, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and because as we said earlier, when they restructured things, you kind of took a defensive assistant out. I thought in particular adding a defensive analyst was something that was potentially really beneficial for this team, just, just for 2021, let alone for the long term. So he's half the Greg Madison replacement, Paul Rhodes. It's right. like when they, it's mm-hmm. like you hired Parker Fleming as the actual assistant, but in terms of like, hey, help the defense, it's Paul Rhodes. He's going to do that part of it. They can't recruit, they can't coach. So they are not on the field at practice and they are not recruiting. So part of this is, and we'll talk about the Alabama part of this because that's what everybody talks about because Nick Saban's gone nuts with analysts. You get like the young, energetic guy as the coach who can get out on the road and do your stuff. And also you get the guy, and again, to Ryan Day's point about continuity, if they just would have hired Paul Rhodes as Greg Madison's replacement, 
He's a former head coach, longtime defensive coordinator. We're going to hire him to replace Greg Madison. I don't know if this is what Paul Rhodes wants to be right now, right? You don't know how long. So if he's out trying to recruit guys and it's like, well, Coach Rhodes, am I going to come play for you? And it's like, well, you know, if he gets a job, because if he's here not as a coordinator, if he's the outside linebackers coach like Greg Madison was, but he gets a job offer to be South Florida's defensive coordinator next year, he's going to leave, right? So you, you hire the other guy who you think will stick around pr- to provide continuity, you know, give you energy and practice, whatever. And I'm not trying to say that old people don't have energy, but I don't have any energy and I'm younger than Paul Rhodes. But you bring the expertise in the film room, scheme it up, you know, you patch it together. It's two guys fill in one role. And I understand the balance of that because then you're not, you know, it's not screwing you up if Paul Rhodes is only here for a year. But he can, if you're trying to say, hey, should we do this look more? Should we do, Paul Rhodes has been a coordinator for like 15 years. So from that standpoint, Stephen, like I think it felt like Ryan Day, to me it's paired. And he was asked about it, Dave Biddle, who's smart about a lot of this stuff from Bucknuts, asked about the analyst stuff like the day they announced the Parker Fleming hire. And Ryan Day was like, yeah, 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 we want to do that. He was thinking about it on parallel paths, Stephen, that that really Paul Rhodes and Parker Fleming are almost a combo hire here to replace what they lost with Greg Madison. Yeah, basically taking two guys and and making them do one job. And I I don't hate it. I still think you could have gotten a better young guy to do the Parker Fleming part of the job. But the idea is, is I, 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 I kind of like the idea of it because it gets the younger guy out on the road, a little bit more energy and it allows one guy to literally, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it allows one guy to literally just focus on schemes. And that was what was a lot of times it seemed like was missing in 2020. So if you have one guy who's literally only devoted to that at all times, and then another guy who is maybe a little bit more on, on field, he's hands-on, he's with the players every single day. And then he's also recruiting. I like this concept. I just don't necessarily agree with the people who are in place for the concept. And listen, this is not new. Now, it, it doesn't cost any money. These guys make nothing. I mean, when they come, they make like $30,000 a year. I mean, like, they, it's, it's not like a real job, honestly, for them. It's not like necessarily, oh, only Ohio State and Alabama, which have all this money, can afford to do this. Because it's like the guys come. It's just they tread water for a year in their career because they're kind of between jobs. Butch Jones did this. He was an analyst at Alabama after he got fired and then he got hired somewhere else. You know who was an analyst at Alabama last year? Charlie Strong was an analyst at Alabama last year. After he got fired as the Texas head coach, then went to South Florida, was the head coach there for two years, then left there. You know what he is now, by the way, which I just it was announced officially yesterday? He's Urban Meyer's linebackers coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he treaded water at Alabama for a year. Steve Sarkeesian famously came to Bama as an analyst after he got whacked at USC as the head coach for off the field stuff. Then he becomes the coordinator. Saban runs through them like nuts. He hires every fired coach. (laughs) So they have like 10, 12 guys. Some of them are younger guys at at Alabama too. It's not just older guys, but they have a gazillion. They literally have to take 10 or 12 analysts. This is like two guys for Ohio state. But I also don't want to overstate it, Nathan, because another part of this is like you do it with your friends. Yeah. You do it as a favor to guys because they don't they can't get a job. 
and like they still want to stay in the profession and they'd rather be looped in doing something for cheap than doing nothing and literally sitting at home and being unemployed for a year. So it's like, it's not like they necessarily go out and get the smartest. I don't know what Ryan Day's relationship was with Paul Roach, but the other guy, Todd, Tim, Ted, Tim, Todd, Todd Todd Fitch. I mean, Ryan Day knows him. So another thing is like, you do a favor for your friend. So I don't want to act like the analysts are like here to save Ohio state football, but they help you scheme it up. They don't recruit. And if there's some idea, and I don't know that I would say this is necessarily how Alabama does it, but it's like you get the old heads in the film room to scheme it up. And then you have your staff is like, I mean, not all young guys, but then it that helps provide that balance. So I think it's good. I mean, I think this is good for Ohio State, Nathan, but I also don't want to overstate it. Paul Rhodes is not going to save the defense or whatever. I mean, like, you know, if, I mean, he's unemployed. I mean, like not to be a, not to be a jerk about it, but like they didn't pull him, they didn't pull him away from being the defensive coordinator at USC to be an analyst here. It's like, he didn't have a job so he can come break down some film. Right. And again, I I think as we've said many times, the thing that's going to decide how good Ohio state's defense is in 2021, I think is the development of certain guys. And especially in the secondary, it's do these guys, take their games up a level. Are they people that we think are among the better defensive backs in the big 10? Cause I don't think that's supposed to be kind of a staple at Ohio state. And I don't think that was across the board, the way we looked at the players who were at the back end of that defense last season. I think that that's the thing that's got to happen. So if by adding these brains, not to completely dehumanize these guys, but to add these brains, these experienced brains into the mix, does that take something off of Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes plate so that those guys get to do something that helps make these defensive backs better on the field through practice through, or, or through being able to, to go cut up some kind of film that they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to, or to be able to pinpoint something they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to like those little things like that. That's where it could make a hot state better. You're right. I don't think it makes or breaks things, but I do think it's something that can help them do the actual development that needs to happen in order to make those guys better for 2021. So Charlie strong, joined Urban Meyer staff in Jacksonville and Chris Ash is on Urban Meyer staff in Jacksonville. He's the safeties coach in looking through, I think they announced 30. So the other thing too, you can have 10 full-time assistants in college football. I think they announced 31 hires with the Jaguars on Thursday. The NFL is just a different beast. I did not recognize as much as we talked about, and we, you know, there was a point where it's like, man, you know, this is who he knows, whatever. You also realize he's not going to just pick a whole college staff up and take them to the NFL and do that. There was like a form, like the Utah defensive coordinator, I think was a name that people threw around. I had heard it. I threw it out. He's not there. Like it didn't wind up. He wound up hiring like a bunch of NFL dudes, you know, like he didn't just hire, he hired the strength coach from Iowa, which is a little possibly quite, quite controversial actually, because the Iowa strength coach lost. What's that? A little bit irresponsible. Yeah, lost his job at Iowa with um, after an investigation there about whether was there any racial insensitivity in the Iowa football program. And Kirk Ferentz kept his job, but the strength coach lost his job, got like a million dollar parachute to leave and Urban Meyer hired him at Jacksonville. So that is something that you will be hearing about, Um, but not a the two familiar names to me from the college ranks were Charlie Strong. Uh, and Chris Ash joining Urban Meyer, who, as we're recording this on Friday, is at Trevor Lawrence's pro day, watching his future quarterback sling it around for the Clemson Tigers. Um, let's talk about one more hire. 
added to the Ohio State staff after this last break on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Just sent a little story on Friday morning that I'd heard. Uh, and Stephen sent a little story on Friday morning that he heard. Just a little, you know, cute little stuff in recruiting. It's kind of fun to hear some of those inside stories sometimes. So, again, 14-day free trial. We've been losing some people. I mean, our numbers are down, um, which, which, which we get. We, we get the urgency of, of in-season. And it feels like, man, I, I, this is a great time to have texts. And if you tried it during the season, so grateful that you tried it. But it is kind of a different deal in the offseason. I think it has value in a separate way, which is there's not as much popping every single second with the team that you care about. But then this is a way to stay connected without having to go search for what's going on. And it's just a good reminder. It's like, hey, I, you know, you like the Buckeyes 12 months out of the year. So we can help you stay connected to it for four bucks a month. So if you've never tried it, 14 days free trial at 614-350-3315. If you're doing it right now, thank you for doing it. If you've tried it and stopped it, maybe we'll get you back someday. Um, and if you just think, I don't want text, Doug. I don't want them. That's fine too. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. But again, we just had a big meeting on, uh, it was like the year, year end review look ahead, you know, with the big meeting, not just for cleveland.com, but for the whole Midwestern part of our company. And, you know, like this podcast and the Ohio state tech subscription gets mentioned when our company talks about stuff because you guys are so awesome and you've created a great community here uh, and a great audience for us. So thanks to everybody for being part of that because we like it when the bosses mention uh, Buckeye Talk. All right, CJ Barnett. I don't know that we said his name. When Ryan Stamper left, we did talk on this podcast. Hey, who could be like a former Buckeye who might step into that role? I should have gotten that. I covered CJ. Great guy, serious guy, captain, like one of those guys who seemed like an adult you know, seemed like a 30-year-old guy when he was a 21-year-old college safety and a captain, just like a like a guy who just has it together. It's like, oh, yeah, C.J. Barnett. Yeah, that makes total sense. Also a Columbus police officer. So, again, you've got to be able to replace people. Nathan, we aren't experts exactly as a player development title, um, but Stamp, Ryan Stamper, who was the one Ohio State person who followed Urban Meyer to Jacksonville, his name came up a lot. Like stamp was important to the urban Meyer era. So this in its own way, it's not a coach position, but it is an important hire. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think that the players um, feel it more deeply than anybody else. Obviously that somebody works directly with the players. And as soon as stamper left, you saw guys tweeting. I remember it's Roger Mitchell tweeted something about it. Like, you know, these guys have a big, impact and uh, that people don't realize so I, I don't know cj barnett at all obviously i didn't having come here uh, just in the last couple of years uh but th- looking at just his background and you know the fact that he was a captain when he was here and what he's done in, later in his professional life makes it a really intriguing hire for me that it's even though it's someone who works directly with the players and 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 really helps him through a lot of things he also seems like he would possibly be coming at this from kind of a no-nonsense background a little bit, like having been a police officer and stuff like that. Like, I think that that to me is an intriguing person to bring into your mix where in so many ways, and and, and the coaches have, you know, a, a disciplinary role too, but to have someone with, with that background and that perspective 
in the mix of your program, I think is a positive thing. And actually, Ryan Stamper also a cop. Ryan Stamper was was a police officer for a year after Florida. So similar, just a similar background there. Go ahead, Stephen. And when you think of it, Actually, isn't that surprising, um, given that uh, last summer when they were having a lot of Zoom calls, they would share some of those screenshots and videos through their Twitter pages and Instagram pages. And CJ Barnett was on a lot of those, especially when they were doing a lot of the police reform stuff and having those conversations. He was on with a lot of those calls. So not saying that they were foreshadowing that Ryan Stamper was eventually going to leave because who who didn't thought Urban Meyer would be coaching an NFL team right now. But the idea that if Ryan Stamper were to ever move on in his career, it seemed like C.J. Barnett was already kind of set up in this position to take over that role if they needed somebody to do that. Coordinating the real-life Wednesday program is part of the job description for this. So, I mean, that you're, you're finding – interesting people in the community, in the business world, in the political world, in the social justice world to come talk to Ohio State players for Real, Real Life Wednesdays. That's part of it. But I also, as, as I understand this, it's also just one of those, like, he's the liaison, right? That sometimes if you're a player in college and you need help with something, you maybe don't always want to call your position coach who is like in charge of your playing time to be like, listen, man, I might, not, I might need help with something, right? that like you don't want a player if they're having an issue in their life to just deal with it on their own as a 20 year old, because that uh, life is rough, man. There's a lot of crazy stuff that can go on in college. But if you have an, if you, if you have a guy that's part of the program, but that you can trust that, and you should trust your position coach, but we know how it is. Maybe CJ is a little younger than some of the position coaches. He just, maybe he will build these relationships with these players he will be like their big brother that if you're, if your position coach is more like your football dad, maybe, maybe see, maybe the player development guy is more like your football, big brother. And maybe you can lean on a teammate and maybe, but sometimes it's like, it's the perfect in between that he is on the staff. It's not like he's going to keep your secrets necessarily, but it's like, Hey, I need help with something. Call CJ call stamp. And that's a really important role. That's a really important role. And I think for someone when it's someone who's played college football, as Stamper did and as CJ did, and with somebody who has police experience background, like real world stuff, like, listen, man, this is right. I mean, I just it's it's a really kind of specific kind of thing. And that I think you need to have ideally a certain kind of combination background as somebody who's like a responsible member of the community, but also can relate to like I was in your spot one time. I was a 20 year old football player. I know what it's like. It's important. So I think it's a good hire and CJ's a good guy and I'm, I'm sure he'll do a really good job for Ohio State. All right, so we're doing this, uh, Stephen, what do you think we're doing this uh, quarterback, running back, three receivers thing for next week? You think that'll be a good pod? I think it will be a good pod. I think given some of the responses from the Texters, I think anybody who's ever listened to this pod knows who at least one of my wide receivers will be. So it'll be interesting to see who I pair alongside of him. I may just break the rules and just go with a bunch of running backs just so he's the only one that gets the ball, but you know. I was going to say, the, you are not allowed to clone Garrett Wilson and just play him three times. Thinking about, it. I was actually thinking about reaching out to his parents and seeing if he has any siblings, and then we can just have the Wilsons be the wide receivers. Because he does have the versatility, right? That he can play yes. outside, he can play slot. That it's like, oh, you'd like a balance in your receiving core, yeah. but Garrett Wilson in and of himself can provide that balance. Um, so we sent it out to the texters. If you are a texter, you still have time to get that vote in. It's pick a quarterback, pick a running back, pick three receivers, rank them. We did rank. I think it's, it's harder. It's more work 
but it allows you because listen, Nathan, I mean, like a lot of people are going to pick Justin Fields as their quarterback, but I am very curious always with stuff like this. How do Braxton Miller and Troy Smith and JT Barrett and Terrell Pryor and Cardale Jones and Craig Krenzel and just like other people sort of work into this behind maybe the obvious number one choice. But I also still really want to hear from the textures of like, this is why I paired these five guys together, that it's not only the five best. It might be, I mean, that also might be a very reasonable way to do it, but I want this five as a group. Cause I would like to see how they played off each other. I also think is an interesting part of this. Yeah, I'm still intrigued. I think we might end up with a lot of overlap on just our three lists, unless we wanted to do it like a draft, right? Where like, then you have to decide, are you picking, which position are you picking first? And then you take a guy that somebody else wanted to take, and then now they don't get to take him. They have to take their number two guy. Oh, oh no, we're doing a draft now. We no. can we can present, this is what we'll do. The, the three of us, that's a great idea. The three of us will do a draft. So you pick one quarterback, one running back, and three receivers. And you make your draft team. But then at the end, we will also reveal our ultimate team, who our five would be just out of all of them. But that just, draft does as a wrinkle that the, we couldn't do for the textures. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, well, I'm fascinated by like, what's the strategy? Like, do you take like, which position are you taking? If you have the number one pick, which are you taking first? And then very, you know, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I do think like sort of like the gaps in like, well, maybe this guy is my number one, but the number two is closer than the number two at this other position. You know, I think, I think it will be fun to do it that way. So we'll plan to do that for the big Wednesday pod next week. I think it'll be something fun. We'll find something for, uh, for the, the Tuesday pod. Again, we go Tuesday through Saturday now, Buckeye talk and you guys are really diving in on the BFFs, right? That's what that Friday pod is going to be. Now I haven't had uh, a chance to listen to that yet, but just to be clear, the Buckeye Talk merchandising, that's split three ways. But if the BFF brand takes off, I'm cut out of that. You guys Correct. get all that money? Correct. Correct. Yes. Five percent, like an agent fee? Like a little you, you can get like, yeah, you can get a finder's fee. That's something I would have negotiated up front if I were you. Now it's already yeah. out there in the world and you can't go back. It's like if it's like you're like the main record label and we split off and got our own record label. So you can get like a little percentage since we're you're the parent company. But not I am much. worried because I'm worried like sometimes like the offshoot record label becomes like the hot new record label. And then like the main record label feels like the old tired record label. Yep. Oh, oh, yep. Oh, yes. That's exactly the plan. Okay. Oh, what, a, <laughs> what, a, what an apt summation of what's yeah. happening here. You're well, pretty, I, I you're pretty smart guy. Myself. <laughs> We're going to be putting out like a Huey Lewis and the News uh, latest songs here on Buckeye Talk, and you guys are going to have all the new artists. All right. Um, we'll get into some more crazy stuff next week. I still want to do the Desert Island thing, taking like a celebrity and a book and a movie or whatever to the Desert Island. I think we'll do part, that as part of the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Always appreciate you guys listening. Again, Tuesday through Saturday, you know it. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts. Try our uh, Cleveland Browns podcast. If you care about the Browns at all, the one that dropped on Friday, we do a big Friday roundtable with five of us on that beat, and we did our AFC power rankings. We had a really good time of trying to slot the Browns in to the AFC power rankings. I know some of this is falling on ears that you don't care about the Browns. So we don't talk about the Browns on here. We talk about the Buckeyes. So more stuff happening with Ohio state again, 614-350-3315 for the text. If you want to try it, but as always, we appreciate you being part of this 
big Buckeye Talk audience. You guys give us jobs, and we are appreciative of that every single day. So for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.